0: Thank you guys so much. Good morning, everybody. If you are elementary age, you can head up front to Sprouts. Um, It is good to be together. Uh, Last week, um, I heard this fantastic message about resting and recreating, and so uh, we went to Moab. We just we we went before i heard the message but it was really reaffirming to to be told that was okay to do that so now thanks to rich for uh for bringing home our last series uh last week um really really appreciated that uh the summer is kind of crazy because you know our schedules are insane last week we actually went on a family vacation next weekend i'm actually going back to oklahoma uh one of my really close friends is actually being uh it's his installation Sunday as the lead pastor of, of the church that I used to be a youth pastor at there. So I'm going to go back and support him, and uh, yeah, ske- summer schedules are just crazy, but, um, but it is good to be here, and so thanks for being here. Um, we're going to start off this morning, and I need a volunteer. Aaron, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Man, so quick on that volunteering. I appreciate that. So how are we doing this morning? Doing good. It was good up to this point, right? So this is Aaron. Everybody say hi, Aaron. Awesome. Say hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. There we go. I, I picked on him because he's very, very comfortable and, and very, very professional. And, and so I usually pick on Lane, and Lane, I think, is threatened to kill me if I ever pick on him again. So. And I've moved his gun safe, so I know he's not joking. Um, but uh, this morning, go ahead and come on over here. Um, I am going to have you come and sit in this chair. Not yet. Okay. Over here. Over here. <laughs> There's a couple caveats here. Okay. okay. First of all, okay. America. There we go. Is that too tight? Is that okay? Good. Okay. All right. Can you see anything? No. Okay. Good. All right. You hang tight right there. Never mind the noises. Nothing scary is happening here. Okay. Just a little bit more. <laughs> okay. All right. You feeling adventurous? Always. Okay. You are going to go to that chair, but you have to follow my voice. Okay, right. I'm going to be right here with you. Okay. You trust me. Yep. We've had lunch one time, so you're like my best friend. Of course. Okay, okay. all right. He's like, we just started coming to this church. <laughs> Dear, let's, let's reconsider this thought this here. So, all right, okay, so go ahead and turn just like, like one o'clock. If I say one o'clock, it's like one there. Perfect. Man. Okay, all right. Go ahead and take two steps forward. Okay, all right, oh, let's go ahead and step over that there a little bit. There we go, okay, now stop. Okay, now take a small step forward again, like a little bit bigger, okay, right there. Okay, now what I want you to do is I want you to bring your right foot up and and you're gonna feel something there, okay? Don't hit your, okay, bring your foot up and over and step over that and then you're good. Perfect, okay, now take uh, two small steps forward. Okay, now stop. Now turn two o'clock to your left. Perfect. Now take two steps forward. Okay, never mind that. You're going to be okay. Now turn two two, uh, o'clock to your right. Okay, now go two steps forward. Okay, now turn. That would be about 80 degrees to your right. Uh, You like how I'm mixing it up? Is it clock? Is it that? Okay, now take two steps forward. Okay, now uh, turn 90 degrees to your right. Now take a half step to your left. Perfect, just a smidge back to your right. Okay, now slowly back up. Now, do you trust me? Yeah. Sit. Boom. (laughs) You can take the blindfold off. This is what you went through. That's awesome. Let's give Aaron a hand. Thank you so much. You can get that to me afterwards. That's totally fine. I plan on wearing it later on this afternoon. So so that is a really cheesy, funny example of faith, right? Aaron had to have some faith in me. He had to have trust um, to you know one that I wasn't going to have him go step off a cliff or into a into a, a branch chopper or anything like that right like he knew hey Jason's an okay guy and so I think I can trust him right and and so he followed my voice he 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 followed my instructions and and that's what faith is right now here's What's interesting, this was not an example of blind faith. Now, you might think, but he was blindfolded, so is blind faith. It wasn't blind faith because guess what? He had faith in somebody who could see. Does that make sense? So it wasn't completely like blind faith, like on a wing and a prayer, I hope this works. No, he knows me, and he knows that I saw every obstacle along the way. And so he just went with it, right? And here's the other thing, too, is he literally had faith. How do we know that? Because he took action. He did exactly to a T. He didn't say, Are you sure? Are you, how high? Are you sure? Are you, no, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm out. All right. No, he actually took action on what I asked him to do. Now, here's the thing he might have said, Well, I like the idea of what you're trying to do, and I agree that I probably could do it, but I'm not going to do it. Is that real faith? Is that real faith? This is at the heart of where we're going with our new series in the New Testament book of James, and it's this thought that faith that doesn't manifest itself into action is not faith at all. We're going to unpack that over the next weeks, uh, nine weeks. This morning, we're going to step back and we're going to kind of survey the land of where we're going to go because I think it's really important. Um, one of my favorite biblical resources is called the Archaeological Study Bible. It is as exciting as it sounds. It is amazing, right? Yes, I watch the History Channel for fun all the time, um, but it's, I love how before any book that, that in the Bible, it, it gives you like two or three pages of background. Who is the author? Where, when was it written? Where was it written? Who was it written to? What were the cultural dynamics going on in that time? It's all proven historical stuff. It all happened. And it helps us to understand what the Word of God is getting at. And so this morning is kind of like that preface. It's the introduction before Drew digs into chapter one next week. So bear with me this morning as we kind of set the stage for what's to come in the weeks to come, okay? James is a, new, is a, is a book in the New Testament. It was written around 40 to 50 AD. That's between like five to 20 years within Jesus' time on earth. Most scholars agree that James was written by Jacob. <laughs> gotcha, let me unpack that. Actually, James comes from the Greek word, Iakobos, okay, which comes from the Hebrew word Yaakov, which is Jacob. I've always wondered why Jake Cox goes by Jake Cox when his real name is Timothy James Cox. Now I know. Jake comes from Jacob, which comes from James. Jake, your your secret is no longer. He's not here, but he'll he'll watch it tomorrow. Uh, we all are on to you now, Jake. Or should we say James? Okay, so James was written by Jacob slash James. Who was this guy? There's there's several Jameses that is written about in the Bible in the New Testament. This is what's trippy. It's actually Jesus's half brother. This is really really cool because you want credibility. If, 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 uh, if you would ever write a story about my life, I know probably a lot of these are already in the works because people want to write about my life. Probably the one you want to read about is from one of my own brothers, right? Because they know me. They're going to tell you the real stuff. They, they're invested in my life. They, I matter to them. It's not just some fan fiction. It's somebody who intimately knows Jesus, we see this in Mark chapter 6, verse 3, where it talks about how James is actually Jesus's half-brother. Uh, most scholars believe that James was actually one of the first books of the New Testament to be written. This is really cool because um, it, it actually was written before any of the Gospels were collected together, um, before any of the missionary letters that Paul was writing and things like that. It was one of the first books to be written. Now let's let's kind of picture this here, right? Jesus went on this crazy three-year public ministry tour and people took note and, and people were starting to follow and then boom, he was killed. And then everybody probably thought, well, this is gonna fall apart. No, it didn't because he defeated sin and death on the cross and in the empty tomb. And then things really took off from there. And so people like the apostle Paul and others took this new good news of Jesus the gospel of Jesus and they went around the world of the day. They're kind of like this is incredible, let's get out there and tell everybody, right? And so they're going as they're going as far as they possibly could and they're going in these missionary journeys out there. Well, the interesting thing is that one of the greatest mission fields of the day was home. Jerusalem. It's the epicenter of where Jesus did his ministry, and, and a lot of people took the, the gospel out there. But James is sitting here saying, But what about my people? What about my people right here at home? I care about them. You see, Jesus and his family and many of his friends were Jewish, and, and, and Jerusalem was the epicenter of the Jewish faith, and so, uh. These followers of Jesus saw Jesus as the fulfillment of this religion, of this faith, and so they had a heart to reach these people. They were heartbroken because their family, their friends, their neighbors, all the people around them were stuck on this treadmill of performance. And they were being told every day, do this, don't do that. Make yourself worthy, make yourself holy, make yourself this, do this, do this. And and their heart was broken because they were surrounded by people that were hopelessly trying to earn and achieve what Jesus had already earned and achieved for them. It was a free gift that Jesus had said, here you go, take it, it's yours. And they're like, no, thank you. We got to do it too. And so they're they're just they're heartbroken and so James started preaching the good news of Jesus to his family and his friends and his neighbors and his community and people took notice. And it's believed that James actually formed the first messianic Jewish community. In other words, messianic Jewish is is Jewish people that believe that Jesus indeed was the Messiah. He is the fulfillment. He is the one that we've been waiting thousands of years for. He's the one that we put our hope in. He's the one that completed the work that we were waiting and waiting and waiting for. We're in. And so it's believed that James formed and was leading that first ever Christian church in Jerusalem. Now, here's the thing that's interesting is... There was three kind of predominant responses to this movement. One is that people bought in. They were like, okay, this makes sense. I want in. Let's go, right? Awesome. But there was other religious groups of the day. Remember, Jerusalem was was being occupied by the Roman culture, and the Roman culture had tons of different gods and religions and philosophies and things like that, and and it was kind of in the heyday of, of that. And so these other groups are kind of like, wow, that sounds really cool. People are taking note of that. Let's take the best parts of this whole Jesus movement and make it our own. Let's twist it. Let's pervert it. Let's, let's, let's move things around to where, oh, we are a part of this Jesus movement as well. And then they would make it into their own version. They would twist it and, and, and change it. But then the third one is of the predominant religious system of that area, they tried to stomp out the threat. They were like, no, Jesus is dangerous. We're done. If this Jesus thing is true, then everything we've been trying to do is not true. Okay? And so that threatens their way of living. That threatens their identity. That threatens everything. And so they actually tried to stomp out that threat. They, they persecuted. They oppressed. They drove people into hiding and poverty and, and they just scatter them out into the world. Now, James is deeply concerned. He's excited that a lot of people are taking note, but he's also very deeply concerned about how, one, people are twisting the message, and two, how people are trying to stomp it out. I like how the NIV application commentary says this. It says, James wrote to a church beset by a number of problems. These problems included divisiveness, intolerance, favoritism, and the overpowering desire for wealth and status. Giving shape to and electrifying these problems were the presence and popularity within the community of errant teaching that was vibrant enough to question the great commandment as expressed by Jesus and yet to maintain an influential place in the community. It was a teaching tailor-made for the time, for it allows its followers to understand the church as one among many opportunities for social climbing and the exhibition of social snobbery. In other words, he's saying James is so concerned because people are trying to twist and pervert and distort the good news and use it for their own gain. And James is like, that's my brother that you are trying to, to, to use. And I'm offended that you would t- try to take the name of Jesus and his gospel and his teaching and to, to tweak it and to change it and to make it fit over here and to this. And then to, to, even, to take it even further is to say, and see, this is what we're talking about. We're the same, but yet here, this is what it really means. James is heartbroken. You know, they always say the most dangerous lie is the most believable one. The most dangerous lie is the one that's closest to the truth, but it's still not true. Seems to apply to today, doesn't it? So James pulls two primary sources for what he's going to be writing. One is the Old Testament book of Proverbs. The Jewish people were huge in wisdom. And so he took the the book of wisdom, Proverbs, because he knows it's going to connect with them. They all have a copy of it in their home. They all go and they study it weekly and daily. They've all memorized large portions of it. They all identify with these Proverbs. He says, awesome, I'm going to use them. I'm going to show you how Jesus is the fulfillment of this, and it's going to make more sense. But he also uses I love this because he uses his brother Jesus's teachings. Throughout the book of James, we're going to see numerous instances where he just takes teachings and concepts from the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount comes from Jesus's teaching in Matthew chapters five through seven. It's a huge portion of the gospel of Matthew. And he takes these things because he says, okay, I'm going to hook you in with Proverbs and I'm going to blow your mind with with a Sermon on the Mount. And I'm gonna show you how these things like not just coexist, but how they fulfill Jesus' is fulfill what the Old Testament, what we've all been studying there. Now, here's an interesting side note. I don't know if you caught it. Tiffany, if she caught the 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 wastage, I I was like, Drew, I don't get, I don't get it. I'm looking and looking and looking. And within like three seconds, she goes, ah, that dude. like you maybe caught this. I'm wondering if anybody else did. I just said that James was written before any of the other gospels. How can he use something from the book of Matthew? Well, that's not true now, Jason. Come on. No. Here's what's cool. Jesus is walking around in the flesh, and he's teaching, and he's preaching, and he's healing, and he's delivering, and he's casting out demons, and he's doing all these he's, It's the public stage and it's the small stage. It's these these grand events and it's these intimate settings. And guess what? People are taking notes. People are writing down because they knew this was special. They knew this was powerful. They knew this was unique. And so people were memorizing it. They were writing it down. They were recording it because it mattered. And so what happened was that there was these collections of Jesus' teachings and sayings and actions, and they were being circulated around because, like, well, I wasn't there. What happened? Oh, okay, right here, right here. This is what he said. And they were recording down what Jesus was saying. And so that, that way, when, when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John actually collected their, their Gospels, they actually took these recorded, uh, these, these records of Jesus' ministry and they kind of compiled them together. But James had obviously access to some of these writings. And he says, this is awesome. Man, Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, that was just amazing. And so he pulls from the records of that. That blows my mind. I love that. And if you're kind of like, well, that's kind of fishy. No, look at the consistency of that. That for one generation, these sayings were being handed around, these teachings were being handed around and taught and retaught and learned from and studied and analyzed. And look at how consistent it came out. Four different perspectives. And look how congruous they are with each other. Just awesome. I love it. So James took Old Testament Proverbs and the teaching of Jesus And that's what he goes to the church in Jerusalem with. That's what he goes to the Jewish believers in Jesus with. James strongly encourages and challenges the followers of Jesus to live lives that reflect what they say their faith is. Here's three things. One, James wants them to know the truth. The truth matters. And in a world, in a culture and society where truth is relative, where you speak your truth, I speak mine. I think it was Rod here a while back that talked about if there's 8 billion people in the world and there's 8 billion different truths, we're in trouble. Because what happens if your truth conflicts with my truth? Well, it's your truth and it's my truth. Well, then who wins? Whoever's in power gets ugly quick, doesn't it? And we live in a relativistic world where our truths are supposedly fluid, but yet there's also this ultimate truth out there. And whoever sets that is beyond me. And it's getting more confusing by the day. And so the thought of, of, no, there is ultimate truth. Capital T, gospel, God-given truth. Now we can debate it. We can question it. We can dig into it. And we have to approach it with humility. Please hear me in saying that, but we also have to say there is truth. It's what gives us hope that we're not just 8 billion people trying to clamor our way through this existence for the few years that we have. It sounds terrifying to me. But if we can all realize that there is God-given truth, now we can find peace and hope and freedom and james knows that in his culture whether it be the religious people of the day trying to say no this isn't truth or the or just the spiritual people of his day and say saying well this is truth and this is truth and maybe we can make it fit with everything else no this is more true than anything else it matters to him and so we see James actually getting really specific about some things, and it's kind of crazy because we're going to see him talking about trials and struggles and poverty and affluence and materialism, favoritism, social justice, our words, wisdom, temptation, anger, religion, jealousy, selfishness, pride, Jesus' second coming, prayer, healing, drought, weather patterns, and much more. I love it. He's going to get crunchy and uncomfortable at times because it matters to him. The purity of the church, the purity of the body of Christ matters to James because it was his brother. It was his savior. It was his Messiah. It was who he owed everything to. And he wasn't going to just give up on that. Second, James doesn't want to focus doesn't want us to focus on knowing about these things. He wants us to do these things. That's where we get the whole, James, faith and action, right? He he wants us to not just know about, but to take action on these things. I can know about health. I can know about finances. I can know about relationships. I can know about parenting. I can know about all these things, But if I don't do them, what good is it, right? I'm just going to be that annoying blowhard that just is like, well, you know what I think should be done. (laughs) Okay, but great. What are you doing about it, Jason? Right? He wants us to take action on what we say we believe. He mentions faith 14 times in the book of James, but he refers, he kind of has... References to, like, commandments and obedience almost 60 times. David Platt says that obedience is everywhere in the book of James. Genuine faith acts. I'm going to go there because you're probably all wondering, wait, we're big on not being legalistic. We're big on not working for our salvation. Wait, what is happening (laughs) are you changing gears? Are we changing our identity? What's going on, querying? Come on. No. James teaches that faith in action makes an impact. It's where the rubber hits the road. If we aren't acting out our faith, is it a real faith? And I know that gets crunchy. I know that gets kind of like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you saying I have to? No, I'm not saying that at all. But when we put our faith in Jesus, we are transformed, being transformed. Our eternal destiny is solidified once and for all. And then we get to begin that process of God's uh, drawing us closer and closer to ourselves and, and healing what's broken and breaking what needs to be broken and, and, and setting, giving us freedom and, and all these different things. That's when Jesus gets to work out what he did for us on the cross in salvation. He gets to work those things out in our lives. James uses the word deeds a lot. And I know we live in a culture that focuses a lot on works and deeds. So how do we handle that tension, right? Well, here's the thing. He's referring to fruit. It is the byproduct of who Jesus is and what he did in our lives, what he's doing in our lives, what he's going to do in our lives. That transformation, it is, deeds are the fruit of transformation that only Jesus can give. Jesus, uh, sorry, James knows that when, when we imitate faith, when we proclaim our faith, but we don't demonstrate our faith, it hurts our relationship with God. It hurts our relationship with each other. It hurts our relationship with ourselves. It hurts our relationship with God's creation. Because we're talk, 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 but then we don't do it. Well, that can cause a lot of damage. We need to be very, very careful about that. We like to use the phrase I heard it years ago, and it just is so pivotal for us, is that we do not work for our salvation, we work from it, Right? If we're working for our salvation, then I have to do this, this, and this, and this, and this. It's Jesus plus my works, and my this, and my this, and my this, so that I can be saved. But instead, we are saved only in the blood of Christ, and then we can live out our salvation. We can work. I always say, if you love what you do, you don't have to work a day in your life, right? If we love Jesus and we are transformed by him and we get to live that relationship out, it's not duty, it's not obligation, it's not work. It's literally every day we wake up and say, thank you for your grace, God. Now, how can I go live that out? You see the difference? We're working out of freedom. We're living out of freedom instead of working out of obligation and duty. Now, it's interesting, we called it... um, Faith in action, one of the options we were Drew and I were considering was faith that works, right? And it's kind of like, hey, this is faith that actually works. But it came a little bit too close to faith that works. See, you got to work. You got to work. We got to be careful with that. We don't want to confuse. We recognize that a lot of people have been hurt by this type of thing. And, and, and I just want to let you know that as we're going through this if, this, if this gets close to a line or crosses a line for you, please come and talk to me. Please come and process with me because we're going we're gonna to go where the, where the gospel, where the, where the, where the Bible takes us. But if you're kind of just kind of wondering and questioning, man, I would love to sit down and process it with you. There's nothing hidden. There's nothing secret. There's going to be no, aha, gotcha moments where we got you in. Now you got to work like crazy to keep this, right? It's not coming. It won't happen. Don't be, don't be worried about it, okay? James wants us to live out the fullness of a real faith, of a real relationship with Jesus. So that's the foundation. That's where we're going to go for the next nine weeks in James' letter. As we go through it, I want us to continue to ask ourselves, what do I really believe? Does my life reflect what I say I believe? If I would go and do one of those 360-degree surveys and, and ask the people around me, my family, my friends, my neighbors, my kids, my, my spouse, what whatever, would they say, oh, yeah, he says he believes this, she says she believes this, well, we can see that? Or are they saying, wait, what? <laughs> what do we really believe and do our lives really line up with that? Do our actions support what we say we believe? Why or why not? And what can we do about that? Now, remember, we just wrapped up a series that talked about how this is all discipleship and discipleship is moving from unbelief to belief in every area of our life. And if we're saying, I have this faith, this is what I believe, but if we don't really live it out, is it really belief or is it unbelief? And so we wanna process through that, that, whole, that whole experience along the way this matters. If you don't believe me, look at James's own experience. James stays home. He preaches the good news of Jesus to his, his, his family, his neighbors, his community, his city. They build plaques and statues and, and honor him in uh, glorious ways, right? No. Around 62 A.D., The religious leaders of the day arrest him, haul him up on top of the temple. The temple is the ultimate symbol of God's presence on earth in that religion. It was the most sacred, holy building in all of creation. Why? Because God dwelled there. It is the center, the epicenter of all that you needed to do or have done to be able to spend eternity with God. And so they take him to the most sacred holy symbol in all of their culture, and they take him up to the top. And you can almost imagine the movie scene where they have him by his collar, and they're holding him over the edge and says, deny Jesus or die. And he's sitting here saying, no, I can't. No, no, no. You gotta believe that you're gonna die if you don't deny Jesus. No, I believe Jesus wholeheartedly. Those weren't just words I'm willing to give my life for them, just like my bro Jesus did. And they said, okay. And they dropped him, they threw him off the most holy, sacred, religious symbol of their entire valley Of their entire community, and he plummeted down to his almost death. When he didn't die, when he hit the ground, they all ran down and picked up stones and clubs and finished the job. Now, legend has it that he says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. That was his heart, It mattered to him. He wanted them to know the fullness of the good news of Jesus. He wanted them to be set free, even if it meant giving his own life. So let's keep that in mind over the next nine weeks as we study the letter of James. That real faith is going to reveal itself through our actions. And you know what? Sometimes there's going to be costs. Sometimes it's going to get uncomfortable. Sometimes there's going to be sacrifice. Sometimes we're going to have to stare our own selfishness in the face. Sometimes we're going to have to, to, to lay down our own sense of sovereignty at the foot of the one who is truly sovereign. You guys ready? You guys excited? Or are you guys like, yeah, I might be on vacation for the next nine weeks? I'm excited to dig into this. I, I really I really want to dig into this together and and uh, our last series was just so much fun. I loved it. It was challenging, it was encouraging. And and I I it's kind of funny because this whole thing came about saw Pamela at Beans and Brews and she was studying and we were talking. What are you studying right now? And she goes, "James." And then literally <laughs> Drew and I were were getting there for our staff meeting. We're like, well, what series do we want to do next? Well, if it's good enough for Pamela, it's good enough for the rest of us. (laughs) It's your fault. Blame it on Pamela. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you for how our lives matter to you. Not just concepts, not just ideas, not just theoretical agreement, but our actual lives. God, you don't want just to give us just some some good cliche sayings that are really catchy. But God, you want to get into our business. You want to get into our relationships. You want to get into our hearts. You want to get into the to the hidden, to the shameful, for the dark, for the for the self-centered. You want to get into those areas that have been keeping us in bondage for who knows how long. And you, God, you want us to act out that freedom. You want us to live out of the fullness of that freedom. And so, God, we just want to surrender our lives to you and your good news. And, and God, if some of us have been hurt by an imposter version of this, where it's based on obligation and duty and see, you have to do this. No, God, just flood us with your love. Remind us of the freedom that you're calling us to yourself because you love each and every single one of us. God, I pray that we can just rest in the fullness of that love. Praise in your name. Amen.